you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to Colossians this morning again. We'll look at Colossians verses 3 through 8 this morning. Colossians 3 through 8. Well, this week on Monday, there was a premiere of a documentary. Um, and it was called Shack and Dale. Shack and Dale, all right? And it was a documentary. If you don't know who Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal is, um, that's fine. No big deal. He was only the greatest basketball player up there with Pete Maravich and a few others to play uh, at LSU. Uh, and this documentary actually uh, showed for you kind of his special relationship with Dale Brown. Uh, and it was a phen- phenomenally uh, well, well done documentary, um, enjoyable to watch. And it was, uh, it was neat for me to watch it because uh, back then, whenever Shaq was here from 89, uh, to 92, I went to a lot of those games and watched him play, um, and uh, it was really a neat thing to be a part of and to see it. Uh, but what this documentary did was it, it actually showed for you, again, this very special relationship uh, that Dale Brown and Shaquille O'Neal had, uh, and one of the things that Dale Brown did and still does to this day is he uh, wrote letters, hand-wrote letters to individuals to encourage them and to remind them of certain things. And this documentary started out with a letter that Dale Brown uh, wrote to Shaquille O'Neal after his rookie season uh, playing for the Orlando Magic. And uh, this letter started with advice. And all throughout it, there were about 20 to 30 things that Shaquille O'Neal needed to do in order to remain successful in his life. It started with advice. It was full of advice, 20 to 30 things. And actually, it ended with more advice. From the very beginning to the very end, in order for Shaquille to be successful, he had to follow this advice. Uh, You can go back, you can read the letter, uh, you can go and type it into the internet browser that you use, and you can find it and you can read it. And you'll read this letter, and you'll think, man, this is a really good letter, this is great advice. And if only you and I could follow this kind of advice, then we would be successful as well. Well, this is what the world thinks oftentimes that in order to be successful in life, you must have good advice and you must work hard to follow that advice. But as we get into the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian believers, I want you to notice the difference between the way Paul thinks and the way that the world thinks. The world thinks, again, that we must follow advice, but here Paul doesn't give advice to the the Colossian believers. What he tells them is not who they need to be, but it reminds them who they already are in Christ because they've heard and understood the gospel. Christianity isn't first and foremost advice about what you need to do. It's the news, the good news, and the proclamation and the announcement of what Jesus Christ has done for you. But first it begins with his person and then it goes into his work. Who is Jesus and what has he done That is the foundation upon which all of the rest of Christianity builds. Before we can get in and talk about the advice that we need to follow, and Paul certainly does in this book as we get to it, we'll see he tells them things that they need to do. He gives them rules to follow. But he doesn't begin there. He doesn't begin where Dale begins with Shaquille O'Neal, do this, do this, do this, do this, because the Bible says that our hearts are not ready to do anything until we know who we are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we are broken beyond repair. And even worse than that, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. Dead people don't need advice. 
Dead people need gospel life. Dead people do not need advice. What you and I need is gospel life, and that's what Paul gives to the Colossians. So this morning I want to read this for us, uh, verse Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8, and then we'll dive in to see how Paul teaches the Colossians about Christ and shares the good news with them. Hear God's good and kind word this morning. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learn it from a, learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding this word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word through your servant, the Apostle Paul. We thank you that over thousands of years we can hear the gospel once again. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand it, that by the work of the Spirit, we might be called your people, that we might be made your children. Father, some of us have heard this and have understood it for a long time. Others of us need to hear it for the first time. And we pray that you would do that work for us for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your kingdom. For your name's sake, we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to look at this passage In three ways, we're going to see gospel thanksgiving, uh, because Paul begins by simply giving thanks. Secondly, he talks about the results of the gospel, gospel results. And then thirdly, we're going to see a gospel witness. So in verses 3 through 5, we see Paul giving gospel thanksgiving. What does he say? He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Okay, so he's beginning by saying we're very thankful for certain things. First of all, he's thankful for who they are. Uh, He doesn't tell them, I'm thankful for what you're doing, first and foremost. Notice that. He doesn't say, I'm glad, I'm very thankful uh, that you're polite. Okay, I'm very thankful that you're kind. I'm thankful that you are uh, generous or any of those things. He doesn't start there. He says, I'm thankful whenever I pray for you because uh, we've heard about certain things, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, he's not thankful to the Colossians, notice that. So he's thankful for certain things, and he's thankful to uh, one person in particular. He's thankful to God. He isn't thankful to the Colossians. He's not telling you, I thank you for all the things that you've done. He goes back to the root, and he says, I'm thankful because of what God has done for you. So he's thankful, first of all, to God for what he has done for them, and not thankful to the Colossians for who they are, for what they do. All right. Why is he? Why is? Why does he do this? Why is Paul thankful to God uh, for these things? And he tells us. He says, "We've heard of your faith first and foremost." Well, what is faith? Uh, if you go back to Ephesians two uh, eight, we're told that faith is not something that we well up inside of ourselves. Faith isn't something that we do. Faith isn't something that we make in ourselves. But what is faith? Faith is the gift of God. Faith is something that God gives us as a gift according to His grace. 
We cannot create or make faith. And Paul recognizes that in the Colossians. He says, I'm thankful to God for the faith that he has given you, for the faith that he has worked in you. Notice he's saying you did not follow the advice and did not hear this and do all the right things. Instead, God did this work inside of you, and you simply responded to the work that God was doing. So first and foremost, I'm thankful to God for what he has done and who he has made you to be. Secondly, he says, again, I'm thankful for your faith in Christ Jesus. He identifies whose faith it is. Uh, He recognizes that, yeah, they own this faith. It is their faith. They are in possession of faith. But he doesn't, again, say that it's their faith, or or he isn't thankful because, again, they're nice or well-dressed or well-behaved or any of those things. But he's thankful for the most important thing, their faith in Christ Jesus. And this reminds us about what is truly important. Uh, Oftentimes, well, here here it is. It's the springtime, uh, and in the city of Clinton, in the springtime, you know what happens. Baseball happens, right? Um, Football is a big deal here, but for our children, baseball is the really big deal. And you can go to the ball fields on Tuesday and Thursday and Monday and Friday and just about every day of the week and go to the ball fields, and you can see parents working with their children and children playing games and doing all these various things. And these children are being commended for various things that they're doing. But the question for us is what is truly important with our children, right? Is it that they're good in sports? Is it that they're performing well? Well, for some parents, you would think that that's the most important thing. That as long as their children are doing well in sports, then that's all they really need. On the other side of it is maybe your children were more like me and not very good at sports and you had to rest on other things. And maybe they're good in in school and they're good in academics. Um, Of course, I wasn't good in academics, so my parents were just out of luck, right? Um, But... They didn't have a good athlete. They didn't have a good student. What was left? Not much, right? But parents oftentimes will commend their children for certain things. But how often, parents, are you looking at your children saying, I commend you for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, here's Paul as a spiritual father to the people in Colossians saying, I thank God for the most important thing in your life, and that is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not all this other stuff. I don't really care that much if you're nice or well-behaved. I don't really care that much if you dress well. I don't care that much about all of these other things. Now, are those things important, children? Yes, those things are important. You need to be nice and well-behaved and polite. But what's the most important thing? It's that your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you start there. You start with faith. And Paul is correcting the bad thinking that has crept into the Colossian believers Because what they believed was they had stopped believing that it was their faith that made them righteous before God. Their faith in Jesus Christ that made them right with God. What they began to believe was that they had to add something to their faith in Jesus Christ in order to be right with God. That they had to do something else. And so again, these false teachers had come in and said, you know, that faith in Christ thing is good, but it's not enough. You also need to behave this way. Do this thing. Keep this law. Avoid this food. Hang out with these people and then you will be good. Do these things. And Paul says, absolutely not. What you need and what you, what you need is what you already have, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So do not forget that. We need to be reminded about this as well, that all of us put our faith in something. We put our faith in something. We put our faith somewhere. We put our faith in, in some institution or something. 
at all points during the day, while we're awake or while we're asleep, our faith is firmly resting in something. It's not a question of whether or not you have faith. It's what you're putting your faith in. And Paul commends the Colossians because their faith is firmly rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are in Jesus in the solid ground that is Christ Jesus. So the question that reflects back to us is where is our faith? What are we putting our faith in? Are you putting your faith in the hard work that you do? Are you putting your faith in what you can do for yourself to make yourself look good before others? Is your faith in your children's ability to play sports? To make your parents happy. Grown-ups, is your faith in something that you do in front of others and you say, this is what makes me special? Or is your faith firmly rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the only thing that ultimately matters? And Paul reminds the Colossians again, your faith is the most important thing because it's in Christ Jesus. So Paul again reminds them, all you need is Jesus. That's it. Your faith in Jesus Christ And furthermore, your faith in Jesus for the Colossian believers is the proof that they have heard and understood the gospel. Because they've heard and they've understood and the gospel is bearing fruit. Uh, As it's bearing, he says, throughout the entire world. Um, It's bearing fruit in verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and is growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it, past tense, and you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant. So what he's reminding them is that you have heard the gospel. And the proof that you have heard and understood it is that it's bearing these fruit. It's doing this all over the world in this day, uh, all over the world that they knew. And we know that it's bearing fruit for them because Paul recognizes that and he points them to it. And he says, don't leave the faith in Jesus Christ that you have because it was doing what it was meant to do. And that is bear fruit. All right. What was the fruit that it bore for them? Well, we're told... They had love for all the saints. And what you see here, and we'll get to this in a minute, they had faith, hope, and love. And those are the things that you see. And Paul points those things out for them. But they loved all the saints. That their hearing of the gospel and understanding it actually meant that it worked itself out in love for others. All right? They don't get, they don't love in order to get salvation, but because they have salvation in the hearing of the gospel, then they love. And Paul says, this is the thing that matters the most. It's their love for the others. Faith in Jesus Christ working itself out in love for others. So you see that first and foremost, that Paul is thankful for their faith in Jesus Christ and the outworking of that in, uh, in, the, in the Colossian believers. Secondly, we see gospel results the things that flow out of their faith in Jesus Christ. And what are those things? Well, it's faith, love, and hope. Paul writes these things all over the place in his messages. He says that the gospel will produce faith, hope, and love. You can see this in 1 Thessalonians. You can also see this in the passage we read earlier. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, that whole passage. Uh, Paul says that it's faith, hope, and love, that the outworking of what the gospel does is faith, hope, and love. Um, now, that chapter that we read, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13, uh, it's a chapter that's read at almost everyone's wedding. If you get married, you have this read. Uh, and it is a beautiful passage about love, but it's not primarily about weddings and the love between a husband and a wife. Uh, this passage in 1 Corinthians actually comes in the midst of a section that's talking about the spiritual gifts. The Corinthian believers had actually been 
jockeying for position among them and trying to outdo each other with the speaking of tongues and with prophesying and all these various things. And they thought that those were the higher gifts. Well, Paul looks at the Corinthians and says, stop seeking those gifts because those things, the speaking in tongues and the prophesying, you think they're the most important things, but here are the most important things, faith, hope, and love. These are the things that matter. So he tells them in the midst that what the gospel produces and the higher gifts and the things that we should all be striving for is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, love for God and love for others, and hope for eternal things. And we see that very thing here uh, as he writes to the Colossians. Faith, hope, and love are the highest gifts. Once again, Paul is combating false teaching. And he is trying to tell them your confidence needs to be in the gospel, not in what you do. They don't need anything else because the gospel has done its work. How do you know it's done its work? Because they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, not just for the saints that they get along with, not just for the saints that look like them or make as much money as them, but for all of the saints all over the place. Right? That's a pretty big word, all there, all the saints. And five, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, faith, hope, and love. And what Paul is reminding them is, if you leave the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you forget about that first message that you heard, then you will also bear other fruit. But it will not be the fruit of faith, hope, and love. It will be faith in yourself as opposed to faith in Christ Jesus. Faith in what you do, again, to make yourself right with God. But because you're dead in your trespasses and sin, you do not simply need faith in yourself to do what's right. What you need is to be revived. And what it produces, what false teaching apart from the gospel produces, is not love for all the saints. It produces self-love. It produces a selfishness that says, I'm more important than anyone else. And what I do is more important than what anyone else does. And false teaching also produces hope. But it's hope in the wrong thing. It's not hope in eternity or in the eternal things. It's not an eternal perspective that comes, but it's hope in the things of this world. It's what comes out and what happens in the prosperity gospel and the preaching that what God really wants is for you to be happy in this life. What is their hope? Their hope is only for the things of this life. And so what you see people that are caught up with the prosperity gospel is they're trying to follow the advice in order to make God happy, in order to get all the blessings that he promises in this life. But the gospel is the kind of hope that we get, not for this life, but into eternity. And it's the kind of hope that we get whenever we look at our circumstances and we say that this is not it. That I am currently standing with Christ in the heavenly places. That I am seated with him. That I am a child of God. And even though through this life I might have trial and suffering and the circumstances of my life might not be good, I am already right now seated with Christ because my assurance of salvation is secured in his finished work. False teaching bears strife and envy and bitterness and resentment. And as soon as you start thinking that you have to do something else, that the work of Christ isn't good enough, that's when you start seeing strife and envy and bitterness and resentment. And guess what? For this church, if we start seeing strife and enmity and bitterness and resentment in the midst of us here, guess what's happening? We are not believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're believing that it's about us and what we do. We need to be very careful to remember the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to avoid those things. 
But if we see faith, hope, and love coming out in the midst of of us and who we are, then we know that the gospel has been heard and understood. Faith, hope, and love are God's work in the believer. Following the advice of the world is empty and will not produce what we truly need, but believing the gospel bears this fruit. All right, so that's the second thing we see. And thirdly, we see a gospel witness. In verses 6 through 8, let me read those to you again. Which has come to you, as indeed come to the whole world, and is bearing fruit and is growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood it, understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I really like this. Um, Maybe this application is a little bit more for ministers. Maybe not. Uh, But I want you to read between the line of what's happening here. Epaphras has either written a letter or he's actually gone probably to Paul and has reported back to Paul about what has happened in the midst of his ministry with these believers, uh, with the Colossians. And this is the report that he sends back. You need to read between the lines a little bit. But what Epaphras has done is he's gone to the great apostle Paul and he's bragged upon the Colossians. He has told Paul, Paul, you would not believe what the gospel has done. They have heard the gospel. They have understood the gospel. And it has begun to bear fruit. They have faith, hope, and love. They are kind and generous. They love meeting and gathering for worship. They enjoy fellowshipping with other believers. There are all of these things that are happening because they have heard and responded to the gospel. Here is a minister that gets to brag on the faithful people in his congregation. If you don't believe me, you can go back and look at what Paul says. You are the saints, in verse 2, and the faithful brothers. Epaphras has gone back and has bragged to Paul about what the gospel has done in this small little town in uh, Colossae. So the pastor saw the work. He saw the response of the gospel, and then it spilled over into every area of life. Well, that allows us an opportunity to reflect. And certainly this week allowed me an opportunity to reflect uh, upon this church, upon the work that we're doing here, upon my work and what I'm doing. Now, tomorrow night, I get to go to Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, as a church, we support the Mid-South Church Planning Network. Uh, we give to that work, and its sole purpose is to plant more churches in the Mid-South area, in Louisiana, in Mississippi, and in Arkansas. Uh, good news, I think we're going to get to plant a church uh, in the next few months in Lafayette, and I'm so excited about this work that we get to do. In Monday night, Tuesday morning, and Tuesday afternoon, I have three meetings where I get to meet with these men, and we get to talk and discuss these things and talk about all of this stuff that's going to happen with church planning. Now, what's going to happen in that is I'm going to be meeting with other elders and other teaching elders and other pastors. Some of them are good friends of mine, and they're going to ask me, Kelly, what is your church like? What is your church like? So just for a minute, before I get into telling you what I think this church is like, think about this. How am I going to respond to that question? Do I get to be like Epaphras and say, this church has heard and understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is bearing fruit that we would expect to see because the gospel has taken root? And that my people are growing down in Christ and growing up 
showing and bearing the fruit of the gospel. Do I get to say that about you? Now, what you do in that moment is, uh, when you hear that question, you stop thinking about yourself and you start thinking about everyone else in the church. I don't want you to do that. Now, imagine for a moment that I get to go to Jackson, Mississippi and have conversations like this. How would I identify you by name? I know all of you by name in here. Could I say of you that you are bearing fruit of the gospel because you are in Christ Jesus, that you show faith in Christ, that you show the love for all the saints, again, all the saints, and that you actually have hope for the eternal things of this world? Do I get to say that about you? Now, I've put you on the spot for a moment. I want you to look back at me and say, can I say that about my pastor? You get to actually go out this week and have other conversations. What did you do on Sunday? Well, I went and attended my church, Faith Presbyterian Church. Oh, what's that church like? Well, this is what it's like. Okay, these are the people that are there. What's your pastor like? If the only thing you say about me is that I'm short and I wear a bow tie, we're doing it wrong and I'm doing it wrong, right? The gospel produces fruit. We're not to look to the fruit, we're to look to Christ. But we should certainly see the outworking of the gospel in our life. Have we heard the gospel? And have we understood it? So go home this week and reflect on those things. If you need to know what the gospel is, here's the gospel. It's the good news of Christ's person and work, who he is and what he has done. Who is God? He is the eternal Son of God come into the world to save sinners such as us by giving his life as a ransom, paying the price for us so that we can be called children of God. It's about his work for us. Do you believe it? Now you've heard the gospel. Lots of people hear the gospel every week. But very few actually understand it. Have you heard it? Have you understood it? Paul says here to the Colossians, you have heard it and you have understood it. And because of that, it's bearing fruit. Have you heard the gospel? Have you understood it? Look at your lives. What kind of fruit is it bearing? And if you look and you see that it's bearing enmity and strife and resentment and bitterness, what do you do? Well, there's not a list of things for you to do. It's simply this. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Fall on your knees before Him. Beg His forgiveness and accept the grace and the mercy of God for sinners like us. If you're like me, you see bitterness and resentment in your life and you believe it and you've heard these things. What do we need to do? Guess what? We need to go back to Christ. It's not a list. It's not a lot of things for us to do. We go back to Christ. We fall on our knees whether believer or non-believer. If you've heard it today and you've understood it for the first time, tell somebody. Tell one of the elders. Tell me. I'd love to get together and talk with you more about these things. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we do. This is the message we proclaim. I hope you've heard it and understood it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, for faithful ministers like Epaphras, who have proclaimed the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, who get to brag upon the work that you're doing in the lives of your people. Father, I pray that you would do that work in my heart. I pray that you would do that work in the hearts of all those that are here.
pray, Father, that we would be a people who are bearing fruit, not simply for the sake of bearing fruit, but as a response to the work that you've done. I pray that we would be a people that are resting upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that our faith would be in him and not in ourselves. Father, I pray that you would break our hard hearts, that you would plant the seed of the gospel in our lives, and that you would grow us for your sake. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.